Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Easter. It's Good Shepherd Sunday. It's a world day of prayer for vocations to the priesthood. And it's my last weekend here, so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to share a little bit of my vocation story. How is it that God has called me into the seminary and into the priesthood, which I'll be entering in here in a month? And fundamentally, how is it that God has called me to be a son of the Father? Because this is what I'm going to focus on, this foundational layer of being a son of the Father or being a daughter of the Father. That's the fundamental call of the Christian life. And this is the foundation for my call to the priesthood. One contrast to think about right away is the contrast between an orphan mentality and a sonship or a daughterhood mentality. Because I developed early on an orphan mentality. And that happened for various reasons. First of all, because of original sin. And so all of us have this, this consequence of original sin, of being descendants of Adam and Eve. But in a particular way, my family, my, my father died shortly after my first birthday. And my mother had to work very hard to provide for us. And we struggled to develop a, a strong emotional bond. And I've come to learn over the years how important that is for a young child, is to develop a strong relationship with his mother. With his father as well, and her father as well. But especially with his, with his mother in, early, in, her, in the early years. I was one day at a friend's house, and I was seeing my friend and his wife, how they interact with their two boys at the time. Now they have more children, but at the time they had two young boys. And the youngest one was on the ground, and he was in one of those walkers that was surrounding him. And he had just recently learned that he could jump in that walker. And as he would jump, he would start laughing. And on this occasion, his mother was on the ground with him, and she was very close to him. They were looking at each other eye, eye to eye. And he would start laughing, and so she would start laughing. And so he would laugh because she was laughing, and she would laugh more because he was laughing. And this created this loop. And this would go on for a while, and then it would stop, and then he would jump again, and this whole loop would repeat. And as I was watching this, and I knew this to not be an isolated incident, incident about how they lived their lives, I could just see that this boy knew through and through that he was a son of his parents. He was a beloved son of his parents. And this is found absolutely essential for the Christian life. It's in every page of the scriptures, in every page of the saints, knowing oneself to be a son of God and to be a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God. But the foundation for that is laid with our human relationships, especially with our parents. In the seminary, we talk about human formation and spiritual formation, intellectual and pastoral. The foundation for all of it is human. And so for me, I didn't really receive that in a strong way, in a healthy way. So I developed something of a, an orphan mentality, which means that I don't, I don't trust my parents to give to me what I need and what I, and what I want, what I need to, to live and to survive and to thrive. I have to go out and discover this for myself and, and do these things for the, myself. I have to provide for myself. We know this well from actual orphans, especially in bad neighborhoods, gang-ridden neighborhoods and so forth. They have to provide for themselves just in order to survive. So they have to learn street smarts and creativity and ingenuity just to, just to stay alive. In a spiritual way or in an emotional way, this happens too, even if we're not literal orphans. I mean, no parent is perfect, so even those that have a healthy, stable home, we're still not receiving everything that we really need from our parents. So there's this inclination of us to, the enemy, for the enemy to get in there and to start to deny our belovedness, deny our sonship and our daughterhood. And so for me, I went into high school and college 
largely with this mentality. I got, I got to admit, I'm talking really fast because at the 8 a.m. I went for 22 minutes and I was told that there's a baptism after this mass. And so we're going to try to get you home before dinner. So. Okay, what is the, how does this orphan mentality influence my life? Well, I had to go and make my own decisions without guidance from anyone. Just me trying to provide for myself, deciding what to study in college, deciding who, what friends to associate with, what clubs to associate with, and of course, uh, deciding bigger questions like career and marriage. All these things on my own, not really in communication, not really with intimacy or relationship or vulnerability, but all on my own. And this led me to just fall in fear again and again and again. Right? If I have to make this decision for myself, it's too, it's too big, it's too meaningful or too strong, too damaging, but too, too potentially damaging. And so kind of being crippled by this fear of what could happen, this fear of failure. What if I make the wrong decision? What if I choose the wrong career? Or what if I propose to the wrong wife, the wrong bride? These, the, there's this crippling fear that can creep in if we have a, or a, an orphan mentality, if we don't think that we're loved by our Heavenly Father and loved by our mother and father. If we don't believe that we're beloved first and foremost, that we're beloved children of God. Well, after college, this led me into a, kind of an intellectual journey of trying to discover whether the claims of Catholicism are true, because I had received something of a religious education in my upbringing, and I knew more or less what the Catholic Church claimed, but I never, I hadn't yet investigated it. I hadn't made it my own. I, had ascended, I hadn't ascended to it. And so after college, I started investigating these questions and reading books and talking to people that were smarter than me and that knew where I could find answers to these things. And I discovered kind of these three layers, these three questions that if we can say yes to these three questions, then we know Catholicism to be true. And then we can maybe have a little bit more of a foundation to give our lives to God and to the church. And the questions are basically just, does God exist? And if so, then all atheistic worldviews are false because they claim that God does not exist. So I found the answer to that to be yes. And then what about Jesus? Is Jesus God? Because that's what Christianity claims, that Jesus is God. And if that's true, then all non-Christian religions are false, at least in this major way, that they claim Jesus to not be God. So if Jesus is God, then all non-Christian religions are false, and Christianity is true. But then the Catholic Church and Catholicism make a particular claim about the Church herself, that the, that the Church is the Bride of Christ, that, the, that Christ is the Bridegroom of the Church. And we know that the, this language implies an inseparability, an, an indissolubility. The two are one, they're united in one, they cannot be separated. So to say yes to Jesus and the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of what Jesus has revealed to us, includes as well to say yes to Catholicism and yes to the Catholic Church, Jesus' bride. And I found the answer to that to be yes. And so I said, I said yes to God, yes to Jesus, and yes to the Catholic Church, and gave my life to God. I remember specifically I was at World Youth Day in 2011 in, in Madrid, and I was surrounded by two and a half million Catholics from all around the world that had come to Spain, to Madrid, and we were led by Pope Benedict, and I, there was this moment where I paused and I knelt on my knees and I said to the Lord in prayer, in the silence of my heart, I said, Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you. I give you my life. Whatever you want to do with my life, 
I give it to you. I give you my life. And I've discovered that Jesus can do a lot more with our lives than we can. And this is, this is the foundation for it. We have to surrender our lives in trust. But I must admit that that wasn't, I, even though I said that prayer at that time, over the years I've realized all the ways that I've tried to take it back. Right? I said, Jesus, I give you my life, and then I've spent the last 10, 12 years trying to take it back and take control again. And say, no, it's my life, and now I'll take the reins in, in this area here or in this area here. And this is all part of this orphan mentality. You know, even though I've been growing into the mentality and into the identity of being a son, there's, there's still the temptation, the inclination, the attachments to my own will, to my own desires and my own plans and so forth. And so this is the area, the fundamental area that God is trying, in which God is trying to heal us. He's trying to fill all of these gaps in our hearts and our souls, all of these areas of self-reliance and self-sufficiency and independence in this unhealthy way, and heal all of that and to really reveal His love and His mercy and His providence to us so that we can grow in our, relation, in our identities of being sons and daughters of God, of being beloved, of really living the words of the psalm that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that mean? I, once, I was once with, a, with another family, and this, this young daughter, she was nine years old at the time, she asked her dad, because we had prayed the psalm, and she asked her dad, what does it mean to, be, to say, I shall not want? Because that's a little puzzling, right? I mean, we want things, and we want things here in this world, and we definitely want a relationship with God now and in heaven. So why is the psalm saying, I shall not want? And her dad answered her a question that he was really addressing to me, or the Lord used it to address it to me, which is, I shall not want, meaning I trust that the Lord will provide for me what it is that I want. As I walk through the valley of darkness, the Lord will provide for me. And the parents that are raising their kids in this way, it's not like they're spoiling them and that they're cooking all their meals and cleaning their room and, and doing their homework and doing their chores so they don't, they don't have to do their chores. Obviously, that's not what it means. It means that even the, the healthy things that kids need to learn, like responsibility and virtues and duties, the parents are the ones that are providing all of that for them. And uh, first of all, in the area of affection and love and care and attention, the children are receiving this, and so they're growing in this relationship of trust with their parents. And this becomes the bridge for them to then receive from the father. Now, even in the worst case, in the worst, in the worst situations, in the worst scenarios, those that receive the worst types of child of upbringing, they can still bridge the gap, or they can still have their wounds healed so that they can live in this total dependence of the Father. And we have a plethora of examples of this through the history of the church. And so as I went along and, and started being more and more open to receive this, that led me into the seminary and into good relationships with friends and with priests and spiritual directors. But still kind of being plagued by this, this orphan mentality. Because by and large, I went into the seminary thinking, I'm going in to solve the problems of the church. I'm going in to fix the church. I'm going in to save souls. Very much this mission mentality, which there is, of course, a missionary aspect of the priesthood, but it flows from our relationship with the Father. There's relationship, identity, mission is one way of thinking about this. And I was already starting with mission. I'm going in to fix the church and to, to save souls. And this led to a serious crisis about halfway through seminary where I was becoming more and more bitter, more and more resentful of all the problems of the church around me, especially in 2018 and a couple of years that followed. All the, these things that seemed just like the church was coming to an end. 
in my, my heart was really coming to an end because it was coming, becoming so and so closed. And the Lord had to break through that and to remind me in a really powerful way that the Lord is the one who provides for the church. And my role and our roles are, are not to fix the church. Our role is to open ourselves up to the Father to receive His love and mercy so that He can heal us, sanctify us, so that he can, he can provide for us as we walk through this valley of darkness and so that we can enjoy His presence now and for all of eternity. And a big way in which I received this lesson was in my retreat right before my canonical retreat, or excuse me, my diaconate ordination a year ago, where I had been going through a month of just intense fear and anxiety and, and desolation, really considering, really struggling with this decision that I was about to make. We really make our promises at our diaconate ordination. That's when we make our promise of chastity and obedience to the bishop. So that's, that's really more of our wedding date, so to speak. And I was really having a hard time with that. And, and I wasn't really considering changing course, but internally I was really having a lot of anxiety and unrest. And I was making this retreat and the spiritual direction director was leading me. And I was sharing all these things with him and he was asking me questions. And at one point I closed my eyes. And when I closed my eyes, he just said to me, Nelson, open your eyes, stay here with me. I'm here with you. The moment he said that, all of these previous moments of crossroads and big decisions and making, having to make, to consider making a commitment, a lifelong commitment, and all of these big areas of fear and anxiety, all of it came bubbling to the surface and it all got dissolved and washed away because it, the Lord communicated to me through that spiritual director's words, I'm here with you, that that's the point of this whole thing, is to receive the Father Himself, that the Father is here with us. And we don't have to figure things out. We don't have to solve problems. We don't have to answer the questions. That's not fundamentally what is asked of us or what's really the invitation that's handed to us, that's extended to us. The invitation is to open our hearts up to receive the Father so that we can go through life, not by ourselves, not alone, but, and not as orphans, but as children, as sons and daughters, as beloved sons and daughters. So beloved that the Father sent His only begotten Son to come to earth, to die for our sins, to rescue us from our bondage to sin and death so that we can be with Him now and for all of eternity. So as I'm finishing seminary, this is the, the foundational lesson that I don't have to make decisions alone to figure things out, that I am a beloved son and that the Father will provide for me. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And I could talk for three hours about Our Lady's role in all of this and I won't do that, but I'll just read this little prayer that's in the back of my ordination card. There are copies of this at the reception in the hall. You're welcome to grab one. And in the back, it's actually a, a, a quote from Second Maccabees, but we can, we can read this as if the, Our Lady is saying this to the Lord, both before His crucifixion and also before every Mass, where she says, My son, have pity on me, accept that, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. And you can see in the image, well, you in the back can't see it, but maybe after Mass you can see it, that she is looking down at the Eucharist. But this is also a prayer that she is saying to me personally. My son, have pity on me, accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. And so as I prepare to lay my life down, 
to, for the priesthood and for Christ and to be a minister of God's love and mercy, I'm, I can do this because I'm not alone, because the Father is providing for me and Our Lady, my mother, is accompanying me. And so in closing, I just want to extend, I just want to pray this prayer from St. Paul, St. Pope Paul VI, who initiated this World Day of Prayer for Vocations. And we can pray in a special way that at least one young man from this parish become a priest, be open to the priesthood, discern the call, go into the seminary and become a priest. And I know there's at least one that has talked to me that's high school age. I won't say his name just to not add any pressure to him prematurely, but we can pray for him. Our Lady knows who he is. And we can just pray for every young man that they be open to this call. O Jesus, divine shepherd of souls, you called the apostles and made them fishers of men. Continue to draw to yourself ardent and generous souls from among the young in order to make them your followers and your ministers. Give them a share in your thirst for the redemption of all. Open before them the horizons of the entire world. By responding to your call, may they prolong your mission here on earth. Build up your mystical body, which is the church, and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world.